With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Matt Penny is in the building. We're going to talk a little bit about the Kevin Porter situation, which has devolved into food fighting. We're going to talk about Sharif Cooper. We're going to talk a little bit about BJ Boston. And then on top of it, we're going to preview the G League uh, Ignite team and kind of give you guys a rundown on Jonathan Kaminga, Jalen Green, uh, Deshaun Nix, and maybe even talk a little bit about Isaiah Todd. Uh, probably won't talk a lot about Kai Sato. Uh we don't really think Kai Sato is a real NBA prospect, do we, Matt? No, we're not there. No, not yet. Good. Kai has size and can shoot a little bit, but we're not there yet. Uh, multi-year G League Ignite team member uh, in all likelihood. So, Penny, how you doing, man? I'm fantastic. I, I just want to start by saying I feel like I'm a freshman on campus wandering into like one of those hundred person lecture halls. And I, I just want to make sure this is the right class. Like this is the NBA draft. I didn't wander into like a, um, a cricket game theory podcast based on your tweets. I, I'm like all in on cricket. <laughs> I, I didn't want to get you going, but it was too easy to be like tweet after tweet. I'm watching playoff games and you're talking about guys hitting home runs and cricket. I have no idea what you're saying. Well, and like home run is like not even the terminology and I'm just like calling them. Home You're already a cricket snob. You've watched my, four hours and yeah, excuse my, me. It's not. Well, a home no, run. Yeah. no. I'm like the anti cricket snob. Like my American adult brain is just like, oh, this guy's going yard. <laughs> and like <laughs> I watched a guy hit a cricket ball out of a stadium last night and I've never felt more alive in my life. Yeah, no, I'm kidding. You got um, to watch more Big 12 basketball, I guess. Yeah, clearly. Uh, I yeah. don't know like where the bit ends about my excitement for cricket and like my actual level of excitement for cricket begins. Uh, but I, I can't, I can't really figure that out yet. I, I think I've like gone too deep into the wormhole of it being like something of a bit. And now I'm just like on the other side and I just like kind of love cricket now. This is your personal Westworld. Like you don't know where, where it ends. The simulation ends and real life begins. You're, you're lost. Yeah, this is where I'm at. Uh, and I've, I've picked up the India national team, uh, the India cricket team as my favorite team because the Australians are kind of snooty and snobby. Uh, I'm not. <laughs> that was not, quick, quick scouting assessment. You took your basketball teachings and applied that within, again, two or three viewings. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And like the cricket announcers, this will be the last point I have. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> like the cricket announcers will get so much angrier when a guy does well and then like gets out versus like when he just like gets out so like there was a guy who got like over 100 runs which is like basically scoring like 50 points in an nba game right um this guy gets 100 runs 
and he gets out and they're just like, Oh, what? This was terrible. What an, what an awful game. And it's just like, what are you, are you kidding me? This was amazing. This was super fun. Are you, what, what are we watching? Are we watching the same thing? <laughs> right. We tuned in the just, same channel. Yeah. Yeah. It's just bizarre. Like the, the whole of, uh, the whole of cricket announcing and like, Cricket as a sport is a different world to me that I'm very interested to continue to dive into. Uh, another world that I want to dive into is the world of Kevin Porter. Uh, oh boy, Kevin. Kevin decided that throwing food was an acceptable social practice, apparently, uh, <laughs> uh, earlier this week. So according to our Jason Lloyd, Joe Varden, Kelsey Russo, uh, maybe couple other athletic folks were in there. It seemed like a lot of people were involved in this report. Um, the Athletic has learned that Kevin Porter Jr. is expected to be traded or released following an outburst Friday in the Cavs locker room. Uh, Porter has not played this season due to personal issues. He grew angry when he entered the locker room and realized the team gave his old locker to Torian Prince, who was acquired in a blockbuster trade Wednesday. Sources said Porter, whose locker was moved to the wall where the younger end of bench players reside, began yelling and at one point threw food. Um, Kobe Altman came into the locker room and confronted Porter and he Porter just remained combative with Altman uh, and the Cavs spent the weekend trying to trade Kevin Porter uh, let, let me just preface what we're going to say here uh, with with this I would still like trade Kev, trade for Kevin Porter I wouldn't give up like a lot of asset value or anything but like if I was Houston and I was rebuilding maybe not Houston because I don't know if Houston has like the culture necessary but if I was a rebuilding team that had a strong culture and felt like we could include Kevin into that culture and um, you know kind of kind of help him with some of the demons that he has i would 100 percent trade for kevin porter he was very 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 good last year uh and even before i knew about this kevin porter's issues that have popped up over the course of the last six months still stop me from ranking him in the top 50 prospects uh update that i'm doing on the athletic coming at some point at the end of this month or early february like i have the top 50 all set up and i had kevin fifth among Cavs prospects and i had him outside of the top 50 because i just felt like there was no there's no way that you can trust where this situation is going to go despite the fact that uh, kevin is unquestionably an immense immense talent i mean what I'm sure that you saw Kevin a little bit on the AAU circuit. He was on the Nike EYBL circuit. You obviously deal mostly with the Under Armour circuit, but you are a connoisseur of high school hoops in general. I mean, what was your impression of Kevin Porter coming into USC? I think we all kind of had the same stories or, or thoughts, like a really talented kid. There were some some background things, some perceived red flags, I guess. And then carried over, I'd say, during that college season a little bit. And he played in the tournament we had out in Kansas City. So saw him up close. He was pretty good. And then last year, obviously, a, a strong isolation score in the minutes he played. Average 10 points per game in 23 minutes a clip. Uh, you want the guy to really figure it out. And you're right. Like, you don't want to write it off yet. At the same time, if Cleveland's moving in the opposite direction 
and they like their your younger core guys, maybe that is the best move of a clean split or so. I I get it. Like I, I get what Cleveland has to do. I don't know if I'd jump in necessarily with two feet if I were an NBA team looking for somebody of his ilk, somebody of his character that can score, but necessarily you don't know what you're gonna get in the locker room. You hit on it. If it's a good veteran team, they have that culture in there. It's it's the Patriot way of you become us, we don't become you. But if it's a locker room with younger guys, I'd, I'd be a little hesitant to do anything. Well, and it's interesting because San Antonio has dealt with, um, you know, issues like this in the past. And they specifically, uh, if you remember in DeJounte Murray's draft, which I believe was 2016, uh, DeJounte Murray came from the same area as Kevin Porter Jr. in Seattle. I believe he went to Rainier Beach as well, just like Kevin did. And there were similar concerns about... DeJounte coming into the NBA. It's why DeJounte fell on draft night and the Spurs decided to take a shot on him. Uh, I wondered if the Spurs were a fit, but the Spurs passed on uh, Kevin Porter twice in the 2019 draft. They took Luka Samanich and took Keldon Johnson ahead of him. And the Keldon pick, I mean, looks inspired. Keldon looks like he's playing great. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be like a very real uh, NBA wing. I think people are going to be pretty surprised with where I have him uh, in my top 50 prospect update. He's really good. Uh, but if you pass on a guy twice and you know the talent level, like the talent level is abundantly clear to anyone who watches basketball. Uh, it doesn't inspire much confidence that this is that teams are going to like jump at the ability to try and trade for Kevin Porter. The other thing is here that I hope someone does, because I think that, you know, I've done a lot of background into Kevin, uh, you know, just through the draft process, like most evaluators have. And the impression I got was that he's not like a bad person. He's just very immature. And, you know, came from a tough upbringing and everything. I, I hope that he gets a second chance because I worry about like him having the right infrastructure. If he doesn't have the infrastructure of an NBA team um, to continue to, you know, to, to make this work in his basketball career. So I really hope that some NBA team decides to go for it. I mean, maybe frankly, the best option for him is, going into the bubble of the G League and like, you know, being averaging insulated. 35 points per game. Yeah. Yeah. Being in this bubble and then um, averaging 35 a game and then coming back up to the NBA. Like, I, I don't know what the best option is for Porter, but uh, the whole situation sucks. Like, I'm actually really bummed about it. I had Kevin at 14 on my board. And, you know, the natural jumping off point here, I think, is trying to you know, figure out character issues in the NBA draft is one of the more difficult things to deal with. Uh, it's one of the, like, I don't really report on a lot of them because I don't like to dive into that world publicly. Uh, it seems like if, if I have a guy lower on my board than 90% of the draft, you know, rankings do, there's probably something to it. Right. Like there's right. probably a reason, even if I'm not saying like there are character concerns here. Kevin's like, I, I feel comfortable talking about it because Kevin's were so publicly um, 
discussed pre-draft, right? Yeah, and throughout just, his just, high school career as well. Right. Yeah, discussed, shared too. And, and I'd say similar with the draft stuff and, and the intel gathering. I'm guessing with your board too, because we've talked about it, is some of the injury stuff and red flags. Like you're not necessarily going to report if a guy, right, whatever, had a second surgery that nobody knows about, an injury didn't heal right from college, it's being covered up. Like that's some of the reason why guys slide too. But look, character counts. You, you want the guy to to have a, a soft landing place, whether it's a bubble or, or somewhere else. But like end of the day, you have to to own it, and he made a mistake, and for whatever reason, Cleveland has an issue with throwing food. Like J.R. Smith had the same thing. I don't know <laughs> if it's something in the water there or what. Uh, when I was at UMass, I will never name names. I had teammates throw shoes at each other during a fight. So well, honestly, it does happen. He throws a shoe. Yeah, uh, it was eye opening. But like an hour later, we were good and we moved on. If if the locker thing really set him off you're guessing that it was three or four other moves before that that really pushed him to the edge like i don't think moving a locker is the end of the world but uh i guess it was to him that day well i think that like in we were i was texting with a mutual friend of ours earlier and i was like you know it's kind of weird to me like you're you've been very publicly uh strong about you know you're trying to reintegrate him you're trying to bring him back in you're trying to um like help him out and then you move his locker to the like end of the you know to the end of the bench guys lockers after uh after trying to do all this like i can kind of understand why he would take that as like you guys not really wanting him around anymore and then our friend was just like yeah, I'm more worried about a guy who throws food because his locker is moved than the actual moving. <laughs> right, and I'm like, right. you know what? That's probably fair, right? Uh, yeah, um, and, and, I, and, and I'm and I'm so twisted that like, and you listed off like five athletic reporters. I'm sure they do a great job, but nobody listed what the food was. Do you remember the J.R. Smith thing? People are trying to figure out what type of soup yeah. it was that he threw. Like, I'm waiting for like Kevin Porter threw a chipotle burrito with cauliflower rice, and that's what pushed him over the edge. I, I don't know, but like that, those are the type of things that excite me. Yeah, I really need to know that. Um, yeah, I mean, character questions, let's say, uh, can be tough to deal with pre-draft. Um, a lot of them, because we're dealing with 19-year-olds and we're yep. often dealing with 20-year-olds, they're unresolved by the time you get to the draft and you have to make a judgment. You have to make just essentially you know, a risk panel and like a factor analysis of okay to when do we think the risk is worth the reward when do we think that uh this guy's talent is just so overwhelming that we're willing to take the shot and i think that because these people that we're drafting into the nba are so young and are so undeveloped from an emotional from a mental perspective that you know, that's why you see teams be as conservative as they are with these things. And I think the same goes for injuries, right? Um, yep. I think that's why you see teams be so conservative because these guys are so young and you just never know what's going to happen. Now, I think teams are overly conservative at the end of the day. And, you know, even knowing what we know now, I still would have taken a shot on Kevin Porter in the top 20 of the 2019 NBA draft. Um, yeah, you're a his, dice roller, but but they took him 30th. So it's like, I, I yeah. think that was a, a calculated good place for him, I guess. And now you see in the draft, 
some of the kind of older charactery type guys and Xavier Tillman and Desmond right. Bain and they're and they're playing well and somehow and by the way I love those guys too like, oh those we know were the internet the loves them this, this is the internet's team and I, I just saw a tweet before we got on here that I think he's starting or started today and Desmond Bain's played well uh, and it's like okay when do you take those guys in the draft versus we're going to take a home run swing at 15 or 22 or 27 we know the guy may have some inefficiencies may have some uh check marks on his character that we're not all the way on board with but the talent you can't replace you can't find it out there for a a big scoring wing who can get his own bucket so at 30th i i get it that it happened and I don't know. It's it, you keep seeing older guys, and the knock is they're older, but maybe being a little bit mature isn't the worst thing in the world. Which sometimes it's, I guess, determined that way in, in the NBA draft process. No, and I think that's one hundred percent right. And I think that you know this is why with me and my boards over the years, I've gotten like questioned about why I have you know X small point guard as high as I do, or why I have. Um, you know, this older guy as high as I do, you know, I, I got questioned for having Josh Hart as high as I did. I think I had him like right around like 22 or so. Um, I had Derek White at like 16 or so, despite the fact that he was 23 when he came into the NBA. And look, I also like have misses. Like this is not just me recounting my uh, my hits, right? The victory like, laps. Yeah. Yeah. I had fucking Jawan Evans at like 18 and he stuck yeah. in the NBA for um, what? like a minute and a half so <laughs> i was gonna go 12 minutes but yeah a minute and a half's good yeah so like look we're all gonna miss on this and you know it happens but the thing with porter is that and the thing with the nba draft in general in my opinion is that whenever someone has just undeniable unbelievable talent finding difference makers finding guys who legitimately move the needle in some way is the hardest thing to find in the NBA draft. Finding guys who can be like all-stars. That is by far the hardest thing. And if you can get one at 17, 18, 25, 30, it's especially on the wing and especially in the backcourt who can be creators, it's often just worth the dice roll. It might not work and it might end up with you in the middle of uh, a food fight situation and uh, (laughs) having to buy a locker, having to spend a weekend trying to trade a guy. But like, I think at the end of the day, like those dice rolls are worth it, especially if you're Cleveland and you had three first round picks that year. Right. So, yeah. um, But, but now the story's out. So the value of him in the trademark is probably very low. Yeah. I I mean, like I I would be surprised if this ended uh, in any other way than either a like mid second round pick being moved for him or um, him getting cut. Like I I would not be surprised if either result happened at this point. Yeah. Well, there's enough teams that have a a stockpile of, you know, 2024 second round picks that if they really were interested and they just watched the film and they're going to dismiss the, the problems he had in the summertime and the problems he had this past week, like maybe there's still something there, but uh, yeah. proceed with caution, I guess. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. 
What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP hackers and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. Nord VPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. And speaking of younger freshmen in this 2021 NBA draft class, uh, this person is not a uh, character issue from what I know, at least. Um, and I don't want to, you know, kind of kind of transition from talking about Kevin Porter and throwing food and everything to talking about BJ Boston and make it sound like uh, there are character concerns there. Uh, because I don't I have not heard that he's a bad kid by any means. Uh BJ Boston is struggling right now and it kind of goes into a lot of the things that we've talked about throughout the course of the season. How much rope do we give these freshmen that didn't have an off season to really get acclimated to college basketball? How much rope do we give these guys that, um, you know, are adjusting on the fly to an entirely different level of talent. Like I'm honestly, I haven't been real sure with how to deal with a lot of those scenarios. As long as you've shown relative flashes of real talent, I think I've been a little bit more forgiving of where I continue to place a player on my board based off of high school resume. (laughs) unfortunately bj boston is not showing those flashes uh he is not really 
been effective across any swath of basketball this season. He is shooting 36% from the field. He can't shoot from distance. He can't shoot on the move. Um, isn't really finishing well at the basket. His defense, his defense has gotten a little bit better throughout the course of the season, but he's still not great on that end of the floor. Uh, he's very tunnel vision, doesn't like see the court and see open passes that are available. Uh, he just has not been very good. And, you know, I, I, I tweeted over the weekend that like, I think it's kind of time for us to just call it what it is a little bit with, uh, with BJ Boston and just be like, Hey, this guy might not be a 2021 draft pick. Like he's not there right now. He's nowhere close to being worth a 2021 draft pick based off of what we've seen in college. And like, we shouldn't give up on him. He's still a six foot seven kid with a seven foot wingspan who showed uh, real scoring instincts when he was in high school and showed real uh, physical gifts. But like, this is not on, this is like not on Kentucky. Totally. Like I've seen like a lot of people try and go, Oh yeah, we've seen guys like Tyler hero and Tyrese Maxey and PJ Washington. And they've outperformed their draft slot. Right. I mean, this is this is not that. Like, no, BJ I mean, has, I, BJ is not even like in the ballpark right now of being an effective college basketball player. Yeah, I, I read an article that Sam Gormley wrote on Kentucky Sports Radio website, and he he posted a Corey Price tweet, and he said the worst field goal percentage by a Kentucky player in a single season of the shot clock era, which is since 1985, minimum 100 field goal attempts. Number one is 33.7%, which was Saul Smith in 1999 to 2000. Second, and by the way, yeah. Saul Smith, like that was, <laughs> I mean, like from what I gather about Kentucky, people were furious that Tubby Smith like brought his kid in and that this happened. Like that was hold, a controversy. Holds a record. At second, as of January 16th, was BJ Boston at 34.7%. I mean, in the Iron Bowl swing when they played Auburn, Alabama, he had five points and five rebounds in each game. He's combined four for 16 from the field. He hasn't hit multiple threes in a game for over a month. And the kind of like tricky thing is, and you touched on it with like Hero and Maxi and, and outplaying kind of their numbers, I guess. Like Kentucky's four and eight. Like they scored 59 points versus Auburn. They're 297th in points per possession in the half court offense. Like BJ Boston needs to be good for Kentucky to be good. And it's not They're like begging for him to be good. Right. Like and, this and is why Calipari continues to play him to yeah. like, and this is why Kentucky fans are furious that like BJ is continuing to play over Dante Allen. Like Cal knows that for them to be good, they need BJ to be good. I think that that's why he's giving BJ Boston this long string to try and figure it out. Because if they have any chance of like, you know, being a top six team in the SEC now, like I think the expectations have drastically changed for them. Um, let's even say top six team in the SEC. They yeah, the, desperately need him to be good. And like the parallels I was looking at, it's not like it's, Florida State's team last year where they're 26 and 5. They have a balanced attack. They can afford Patrick Williams to play 20 minutes a night, 20 minutes a night. And he had a stretch of five single digit games in January. He, they went 5 and 0. Oh. Like this year's Tennessee team. You don't need Keon Johnson and Jane Springer to be world beaters. They're fine. This year's Gonzaga team, even when Jalen Suggs is at his worst, they win by 20. Even Kentucky's 2014 and 2015 team where they're playing a platoon lineup of 
you know, nine guys that play in the NBA, seven were drafted, they had 38 wins. Like they need BJ Boston to score and be good. I mean, it, it's getting to a point, and you and I were texting during the Auburn game. We're like celebrating when he has like a couple good drives in a row. I mean, we were at one time mentioning him as a potential number one overall pick. I mean, I think you had him maybe as high as like three. I think uh, I had him at two. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it, it's kind of crazy and you want the guy to figure it out and they're all saying the right things. And the last tweet that he had was on January 6th. He said, I don't need no sympathy. I'm a man who steps up to every challenge and face it. Davion Mintz and Olivia Sarf said in interviews that he's their hardest worker and always in the gym. So you hope that he kind of like keeps building on it, but it's, you know, we're 12 games in here now. I don't know when the, the corner is actually turned. Well, and like, speaking of that, I mean, God, John Calipari. I mean, did you see the quote that he had after the game? Like, did you see the wait, like, wait, which one? Uh, Coach Calipari. He he's racked up some quotes lately, so I'm gonna ask for a little clarification on which one because I have a Vandy one from a few weeks ago, but I think he had more of a doozy last game. He said. I want to win every game we coach, but the other side of it is I'm not trying to take anybody's heart away. Players coach. It's a players coach. Which like, yeah. And like, I look, I, I think that people who listen to this podcast will know that like, I have an immense amount of respect for John Calipari and like have, uh, like I, I love the way that they run that program there. Like it is more players first than most programs you'll see in college basketball. Um, I do think he cares about winning. I also think he cares about like putting guys in the best position to succeed long term for um, their NBA hopes. But like that was fucking savage to say. Like, well, well he also he, he he's also been known to say that the best day of the year is is draft night. So it's the national championship than draft night. But uh, like, you gotta at least give Coach Kyle Perry credit for still going to bat for his guys. I mean, two weeks ago they beat Vanderbilt, and he said we need our fans to absolutely support BJ. I don't know why anybody would just want to be nasty. If you want to be nasty, be nasty to me. It's my fault. Don't be nasty to him. Uh, basically said something along the lines of everybody let left Devin Askew alone. When Devin struggled, nobody really got on him. Our fans left alone. They let him do his thing. Our fans haven't been bad on BJ. They're been pretty good. They're not nasty. They're not trolls. That's not who they are. So he's, he's still supporting his guys. It's just I'm watching that Auburn game. And it just seems like he's overthinking it. Like, there was a possession in the second half. He's on the left yeah. wing. He catches the ball. I think it was a driving kick. So he's on the left wing. Jacob Toppins in the corner. The defender's kind of splitting the two of them. Easily catch and shoot. Old BJ Boston catch and shoot. He hesitates for a second. He takes a dribble in. Defender commits to him. He passes the top end who travels and it's a turnover. It's just like he, he can't get out of his head. It's, it, it made me think of, and I'm going straight 90s here. You've seen Happy Gilmore, right? Yes. I feel like BJ Boston has to find his happy place. Like, he needs to lock himself in a room, watch film himself in high school, see that confident, wiry wing scorer, see the consensus number four recruit in the country that was behind Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, and Evan Mobley, and just be who he is. It's just, you can tell he's, he's in his head a little bit and he's trying to get out of it. And he showed better flashes, but. Look, five points per game isn't going to get you moved up draft boards either. Yeah, and I mean, this raises the question of, like, where would you take B.J. Boston right now in an NBA draft? Oh, man. Put my back against the wall. I, I don't – I'm going to cop out and say I, I don't know. 
because uh, again we we discussed it a little bit like how much of shades of like the nasir little experiment experience in north carolina do you see with bj at kentucky i think it's worse really and, and i just as like a background nasir dominated the adidas circuit there's all this talk about how well he played against pros in the offseason ends up averaging under 10 points per game and under 20 minutes a, a clip goes 25th overall to portland he's not really playing a, a ton right now he, he's dealt a, with uh he had a bad case of covid for what it's worth. yeah like and, and injuries yeah yeah um but look like nasir little it's january 18th nasir little um dropped 21 on elon so like take yep. that for what it's worth 19 on saint francis he had 11 against texas he had 14 against ucla he had 14 against unc wilmington he had 10 against davidson he had um then like went into a stretch in acc play where it was 11 against notre dame on positive shooting miami he had 12 points on three of four from the field and got to the line a bunch he had 23 against virginia tech on seven of 12 shooting um like he kind of settled into a role and was pretty like okay after a point. Um, Boston is not that uh, now. And look, like Nasir Little was a disaster on defense too. Like we can just say that. Um, and I think that Nasir was also in a bad scheme for him. Uh, right. You know, like he's kind of a combo three four man in college basketball where. North Carolina, there's not really room for that within their scheme. It's two bigs, it's two spacing wings, and it's a point guard. Um, in Kentucky, like a lot of this is built around wings, like to get buckets in some way, right? Like they run all of these crazy pin downs and curls and stuff to get these guys open shots. And look, that's not a great fit for BJ right now because BJ always had the ball in his hand when he was young and never learned how to shoot off of movement and never, um, like he's still adjusting, I think, to that part of it. Also, this team has no spacing. So his slashing game, like, just doesn't translate at this level right now because there's no space to slash. So there are some parallels to what we've seen from Nasir Little and BJ Boston. I think BJ has been a lot worse. I'm just going to kind of say that. I think he's been much, much worse than what we've seen from Nasir Little, which stinks. Yeah, Nasir Little was always the who's the only guy that can hold Michael Jordan under 20 points is Dean Smith. So was that the reason why he didn't have big numbers in North Carolina? But I'll, I'll pose you with this question then. If you're BJ Boston, you're, you're in his inner circle, what's the move? I mean, do you, do you stay and do you fight it out? Do you declare and try to play pro? Do you try to do this one-time transfer thing? Like, what's kind of the next step? If if it stays on the same path for the next, whatever, two months, season ends, where do you go from here? Yeah, and for what it's worth, like, looking through BJ Boston's numbers, like, I realized that I should preface this as well. Like, I know BJ's been in double figures a bunch, and I just reached, like, back and, like, pulled out a bunch of Nasir Little, like, double figures games. Nasir Little had a PER of 20 that year. Um, Brandon Boston is at 12.8 right now, which is, like, disaster level for an NBA prospect. Um, Just to kind of put it in context again. If I was in BJ's ear right now, 
I would probably say I agree with you that like they need to find a way to like get him to his happy place, right? Yes. Like they they need to find what's going on there. Like it does look like he's lost a little bit of confidence, right? And, and I think that that's the number one thing. We need to find a way to regain his confidence. It, honestly, if I was him, I'd go back to Kentucky right now. Hmm. Um, based off of what we've seen so far, I would go back to Kentucky. Um, and a supportive coach, right? Like we can criticize coach Calipari and say what we want, but he's seemingly been with them every step of the way. And then he, it wasn't like a ricochet ricochet shot or anything, but he said kind of after the game, somebody asked him like, why wasn't Dante Allen playing more? It's like, ah, I didn't shoot the ball. Like he, he had some open looks, didn't shoot it. Can't play him if he doesn't shoot. And on the flip side, he's kind of saying, you know, still be patient with, with BJ. And then, you know, you don't want to rip a kid's heart out. I don't know. It, it's all over the place, but it, it does. If you boil it down, it seems like coach Calipari's behind him. Yeah, like I think that if I was like I would say go back. Um we've seen like these guys in the past that they've been propped up by lofty um mock draft standings, right? And then they enter the draft because they're still high on draft boards in March. Right. And then the bottom falls out once they get into workouts and stuff and they end up going undrafted, right? Um We've seen that like the the classic one is one that's actually worked out positively to me. Uh, do you remember Christian Wood and like his situation? Yeah, no, I, I remember the uh, iconic photo draft night of him with his his hands and his face. And you know, there was a story that circulated last week that his like ex girlfriend left him that night and he hasn't talked to her since. And now he's you know throwing jabs at at Shaq saying he's a casual fan after having a great game. So he like it's paid off for him. Yeah, like. Christian Wood entered the draft process as a top 20 guy and then ends up going undrafted. And in part, that was from, like, he he did not handle the pre-draft process well, let's just say. Um, But we've seen examples of this. Like, uh, let's go back to the 2019 NBA draft. And now I'm just kind of vamping real quick while my computer tries to load things up. Um you're, you're more you're more spinning success stories as opposed to advocating for for doing this route. You're, you're yeah. saying like, look, there there are examples, there are cases. Probably well, don't like, necessarily recommend it. It's again, it's buyer beware because like it can also not work. And then you're trying to figure out if you can get into the G League bubble or if you figure out if you can go overseas and still get money. And like life comes well, at you fast there too. Well, like Lou Dort is a good example, right? Like Lou Dort, we had him top twenty. Uh, during the season, I still had a first round grade on Lou Dort going like into the draft because I thought he was really good and he's like a super character kid. Like, there's no the the fact that he went undrafted is in part because they kind of chose to handle it that way. He would have gone somewhere in the 40s, um, right. if he would have chosen to do so, but like, still, he would have dropped into the 40s, which is not what he likely thought when he entered the pre draft process, right? Um, sure. And he goes undrafted. Like, the bottom is real. Naz Reed uh, was like a borderline first-round pick when he entered the pre-draft process. Bottom fell out, and he goes undrafted. Like, Yeah, so, so, similar situation. Concerns off the court, the pre-draft stuff. And he's been pretty good for Minnesota. His numbers have been better than what I thought they would be. But a very talented kid. He's always had it. But it's it just wasn't always consistent enough. And sometimes guys get into a locker room, and maybe it's a – 
a segue back into Kevin Porter, like with the right leadership and the right people around you. And it's like, this is, this is it. It's this or it's nothing. It's over. But I, I think just kind of like digging through, there's more like exceptions than like, yeah, declare, get undrafted and see what happens. Like it, it does pan out, but, but not all the time. No, it definitely does not always pan out. And that's the risk that you run uh, in a lot of ways. And some like, look, there are a lot of examples, even someone like PJ Dozier, like has worked out and has become a strong rotation player for the Denver Nuggets. Um, there, there are examples where this can this can work. But I don't know, man, it's a uh, it's tricky, tricky situation with BJ Boston. I mean, what would you advise right now if you were helping them? Yeah, I'm not gonna say on the air to transfer. Uh, I would, I would say go back to school. I'd say just get back to basics. Do what. Yeah, you, what you play you the. Good. It's, um, it, it, it's you, not. You play the game well. You, you don't. Uh, I am right firmly on the fence. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Again, I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to do this super hedge either. But it's not like a complete total shock. He is where he is. Like he didn't have a great spring and summer in between transferring to Sierra Canyon and he kind of like dipped a little bit in the rankings. Then he had a really good high school season. And, and we've talked about it here, him and Zaire Williams were teammates. They kind of split every like player of the year award in California. He was great. He's kind of riding that wave into Kentucky and it clearly just hasn't been all the way it has to be. But uh, I joke about it and I joke finding your happy place, but I was watching highlights because I knew that, he was going to play Sharif Cooper this weekend, his former grassroots AU teammate with AOT, stands for Athletes of Tomorrow, on the Nike EYBL. And, like, I almost forgot how good he was in coming off the dribble and doing stuff in traffic and extending and dunking on people. He's just kind of, like, gotten away from that type of player. And not to do the the total excuse thing either, but if you go back and, and I rewatched some of the game earlier today – he was snake bit with a, a couple baskets too. Like he, he had a three rim out. He missed a mid range, went in and out. He had a layup that was hung on the rim and fell off. So maybe he has really 13 in an, an alternate universe. And that kind of turns the corner from a little bit too. Which teammate do you want to talk about next? We could go to Zaire Williams or Sharif Cooper. Cause I kind of want to talk briefly about both of them. Why don't, why don't we stay with Sharif just because it's, it's easier. They just played and we can talk about specific things of that game if we wanted to. So with Sharif, he looks awesome from a ball handling perspective, from a passing perspective, from uh, just a general playmaking perspective. His live dribble passing has translated at an exceptionally high level. His ball handling, his ability to just get in and out of creases, everything looks very, very good with Sharif Cooper, except for the size and the shooting. And I just kind of wonder how you're evaluating him at this point now that we've seen him play three games, two of which were incredibly productive against bad competition. And the third one was, I don't know, how would you even evaluate that Kentucky game? Like, I thought he was really inefficient and struggled at times, but there were also really high-level flashes. And I kind of respected the way that he fought through it and kind of battled at the end of the game and made a couple of really important shots late. I don't know what to make of him because uh, I, I've told this story before, too. When I saw him in high school, he was on the same high school team as Isaac Coro, And I whiffed on my Isaac Coro eval because I was so just drawn to him and his game. And I remember texting an NBA scout after the game and just saying, who's like a really good 
smaller scoring guard, six feet, sub six feet, that's like stuck in the NBA. And it's like Isaiah Thomas, JJ Barea. There's not like a ton of those guys. Well, the, the one it, that I have one in my brain that he reminds me of, and dump I'll dump it out. Who we got? Uh, okay, okay. I was gonna wait until you're done. So let, you go, let's. No, I go. No, I'll go. Okay. But so what scares me about him is like. It's the shooting. He's one for 16 from three. He's shooting 6% from three at his size. If they're going to go under because he is so good in pick and roll when he can operate and cross over and throw alley-oops and, and see the court. If they're just going to go under and play this drop coverage, like you have to, you have to be able to hit more than that. And it's such a small sample size and he can shoot a little bit and he hasn't played in this rust, but like that's what scares me a little bit. The vision and feel are just off the charts, though. I mean, I, I say nice pass to myself like five times a game. You know, the fast break, yeah. you give it, you give it an up, you're getting it back. He's throwing at the rim. His alley oops are perfectly placed. And I read a quote that he had after the first game where he said, "I always tell my guys be ready, be ready in the corner. Don't move. I'm gonna hit you when you get it. Shoot it. Or if you go back door, I'm gonna find you." And I, I dug deeper. He has no idea what the offense is. He's like, "Yeah, I didn't really like study the playbook too much." <laughs> So we're kind of like figuring out on the fly. So even more so, I think it's it's not impressive they didn't know the offense, but it's impressive what he was able to do with it. The Kentucky game worried me a little bit from the pro perspective because when he came off that screen, they bumped him a little bit. They were physical. They made him work. He couldn't get by that guy. So what they Auburn had to do was the second half, late first, early second, they pulled that ball screen away and just kind of let him beat the first guy and make the defense react so he could drive and kick. So it has to be able to shoot, has to be able to do a little bit more through contact. I don't know what to make of him yet. I'm not one of these guys who like jumps and says automatic lottery pick, but there's a lot of things to to be excited about, I guess. So the guy that I think he reminds me of most right now, both for better and worse, is kind of Ish Smith. Okay, um, you were hating on my Ish Smith comp to. I want to see Kyra Lewis. Yeah, like I, I think Kyra is Kyra's bigger. Like I'm just saying bigger. Yeah, yeah and yes. can shoot. Yep. Like that's yep. the other thing. Like Ish. Yeah. yeah. When Ish got to the NBA, like he couldn't really shoot. He can like, if you leave him wide open, he'll take one now. But it's not his inclination, right? Right. Um, and I think that more than anything. What this shows is how small the margins are for these small guards, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I'm not exaggerating when I say, like, Sharif Cooper is probably the best guard in terms of vision and ball handling that I've evaluated since Trey Young. Like, his shiftiness, his change of pace, like, every single dribble move that he has, like, he keeps that ball on a fucking string. Uh, the the cross the crossover from left to right between the legs into an alley oop, which he's done multiple times, it, it's just like unheard of. It's unseen. I mean, you and made then, the you made you made the joke a few weeks ago when Jalen Suggs threw that like full court with English pass that the guy missed the layup that like put him in Hogwarts. He's a wizard, and, and I made the joke that like yeah, Sharif Cooper is working on his resume to do the same because he does five to six to ten plays a game where it's like i don't know how he did that especially his size through traffic over whatever a couple six ten guys right like <laughs> the shit that he can do with the ball is just unbelievable and 
because he's just a non-shooter right now, like, I feel like that shot does not look great coming out of his hand. He's confident with it, which gives me some hope. Like, I think that confidence is a big part of potential to improve as a shooter. Like, your willingness to take them is really important. Um, There is a chance that he could really improve as a shooter, but, like, right now, he's not really a shooter. No, not at all. It just completely closes down all of those angles at the NBA level if you're a non-shooter. Like, you have to do so much to create uh, a shot. And, like, you have to really fuck with guys to create your own shot uh, if you're that little and you can't really shoot. The thing that makes Trey Young so good is that he's one of the best passers in the NBA, one of the best ball handlers in the NBA, has a floater game and can shoot. Like... Sharif has definitely two of those four things. I think he has a little bit of a floater game, but if you can't shoot and guys just go under your ball screens, like it just becomes immensely, immensely difficult to really make things happen. Like I think he's a first round pick. I feel good about saying that. Like I would, I'll probably have him somewhere 15 to 25 right now. He has lottery upside if he can show us upside with the jump shot. But for now, like I feel most comfortable saying that he's a solid first round pick that could be a starting guard. But like the downside is backup guard with Sharif Cooper just because and we haven't even talked about defense yet. I mean, he's been and look like again, he doesn't really know what like the scheme is kind of like you said. And he's just kind of running around. But like he's yeah. He's even kind of like given up on like screens occasionally too, in a mm-hmm. way that's scary. Um, yeah, he's not been very good defensively either. But yeah, the, the, the like, numbers will will fool you a little bit because he does have two steals per game. But that's kind of like him oh, he's gambling his ass off. Like, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and and it's like almost ten assists, but four point seven turnovers. So it's hard right now, and and I know that, and we'll get there eventually. Like that late ish lottery. Uh, it's not like a ton of, of meat on the bone, I guess, for guys that are standing out, but it's it's hard for me to get on board to say the guy that's one for 16 from three and averaging almost five turnovers per game, despite what he's doing offensively, like I can say like, yeah, he's he's definitely a lottery guy. Yeah, but then again, like he's fucking averaging 22 and 10 22 in a game. three yeah. games. So like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, we, it's, yeah, it's, it's like I had this a little bit when I was, when I was coaching in high school, we played Lawrence Academy and they had Shabazz Napier and Shabazz was equally crazy with the ball and the string, the look, a little bit taller and could shoot it a lot more. I mean, we, he beat us on like a 35 footer at the buzzer and walked off like he owned the place. Sharif has that similar level of confidence, but like not the jumper so that's why it's kind of hard for me to to pinpoint and say like this is the best call for him too and like tremont waters is maybe yeah, another yeah good but example he shoots of, it too though yeah and he shoots like yeah. he shot 32 percent his uh second year at lsu but a lot of those were tough shots um, right you weren't going on, you were not going under screens on tremont waters yeah. no way no how but here's the thing i think sharif is better than tremont waters <laughs> like right and Tremont Waters started an NBA game for the Celtics this year. Uh, oh, kind of. They had nine guys. Like, sure. <laughs> he didn't play. He didn't play the next night. But yeah. But, I, but I, you I, know what? Like Tremont Waters went. What did he go? Like forty fifth in the draft, and has quickly overshadowed Carson Edwards, who went higher, and who I like kind of liked coming into the draft. So, right. right. Like, yeah. It, no, it, I like Carson too. I thought he kind of they have flip roles. Yeah, and I think 
Tremont is probably going to be uh, a backup point guard in the NBA for a while. Like I think Sharif has more upside and a bit more talent with the ball and as a passer than a lot of these guys, but it kind of just shows again, like the diminishing returns for small guards. It go it like it is, it is a cliff basically for these guys. It is hard to play at that size in the NBA. Um, and Sharif is better than most of them, but man, uh, I'm I'm fascinated to see what we see from him the rest of the year. I would love it for him to continue just to like fucking drop 25 and 10 on these dudes heads in the it's SEC. a fun watch it really is like I, I like to make my schedule on sunday for the weekends like how do you not have every auburn game on list to watch and I, i'm just happy that it was a little fortuitous i guess that i think the last podcast you said why isn't sharif cooper eligible and then he was eligible like the next day yeah i'm glad i'm glad he's able to play i think you snuck him in in the second round like before he even played a game there were a lot of rumors out there that he wasn't going to be eligible. He was going to go play overseas, but I'm just happy we're able to to watch him a couple times a week, and then he can actually show in front of NBA evaluators, and he's not in, I don't know, Serbia or playing some B or C division because he didn't have any tape other than his high school stuff. And we get some good showcase games with him coming up because they play Arkansas this week, and then in about, what, like 12 days, they play Baylor. Uh, and Baylor is going to be a really fun one because Davion Mitchell will hound him oh, across we'll the court. Oh, will eat you alive, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. that's going to be a really good one. Missouri has some good guards on January 26th as well. Um, but a lot of what we're going to wait for is this: these last four games uh, for Auburn is LSU, where we'll get the Cam Thomas versus Cam Thomas, yep. Sharif Cooper Bowl. And Javante Smart will probably be the gar- guy guarding him. And Javante Smart's a tough defender. Um, we get Florida. On February 23rd, we get Tennessee on February 27th, and then Alabama, who looks fucking ridiculous so far, um, just offensively, especially on uh, what is that? That's going to be March 2nd. So I think that these two games against Arkansas and Baylor and then those four games at the end of the year uh, are really going to be the ones where we see where Sharif Cooper ends up on draft night. I'm also going to note. I think this Auburn team is really good with Sharif. Yeah, now, now they are. It's like, is Bruce Pearl mad? I think they said it on Titus and Tate, too. Like, is he mad now that he said he wanted this postseason ban? Like, now you got Sharif Cooper eligible run around. And Justin Powell didn't even play. He's been hurt. It's like, you add him with, with Flanagan and JT Thor's figuring out. Like, they're a fun team to watch. And they take, like, wild shots, too. Like, they, they take stuff early in the shot clock. They take three-pointers off the dribble. Like, they play fast and wild. Man, I, I will tell you what, JT Thor is figuring it out in a hurry, too. Like, he is getting really good, I think. Like, he's good defensively. He is uh, a guy that can kind of step away and, like, attempt shots, at least. He's not a 2021 prospect, but I'm intrigued long-term with JT yeah, Thor. Yeah, I, I loved him in high school. He bounced around a little bit, and there was talk about he would maybe go pro. He catches and can finish. He had, he had a couple, I think it was even back-to-back possessions against... Um, kentucky where he like euro stepped and finished yep he's still figuring out he looks the part for sure he's long active the jumper gets there attempting is a a good way of putting it but if he kind of like comes back for another year and adds a few pieces he's going to be interesting guy i mean they have cooper powell thor flanagan like that's 
That is probably plus like Cambridge and plus um, yeah, Jalen Williams. Cambridge kid. jump. Yep. Like, man, they might be the most talented team in the SEC. Like, it's close. Now the truth is high there. octave there. I think so. <laughs> keep going higher. Yeah, uh, they're they're it's maybe a talk, Tennessee right? it's higher. A, it's a like, talk. It's a talk over a beer, probably Tennessee. But there, you can argue it. Yeah, like I think I would go Tennessee, but they might be too. Like along with Alabama, like them and Alabama are very close. I mean, that Alabama game was ninety four to ninety and was super tight. Um, yeah, what a. And, and, like, I don't even know what to do with Florida in this conversation just because they don't get utilized all that well, I don't think. But, like, um, yeah, fascinating, fascinating team, Auburn. I'm excited to watch them the rest of the year. I do want to talk about Zaire Williams real quick before we get to the sure. G League stuff. Um, Zaire Williams is fascinating to me because – and I've mentioned this before, but like whenever I talk to NBA evaluators, they just kind of hand wave what he's done so far this year to me. They're just kind of like, oh, yeah, he's fine. Like, he'll be good. Don't worry. Um, he's shooting under 40% from two point range right now. Yep. He falls on the ground Close, a lot. Th- th- 39.6, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, he falls on the ground a lot uh, because he doesn't have like the strength to like absorb contact right now because he's very skinny. Um, 32% from three does shoot free throws well. So, like, I think he is going to shoot it. Like, I'm not super worried about the jumper, but is it weird to you that, like, we're kind of hand-waving a guy a little bit that is shooting under 40% from two and has a 25% turnover rate? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely a little bit of a hand-wave, but his last three games... You know, they've lost two of three. They lost Colorado. They lost Utah. They beat Washington State. He said 16, 17, and 17. But there's like, you know, Utah, that game was on like in the afternoon for me, which I don't know if that means at like four in the morning for you, but he was four for 13. Uh, he shot it well from three, but otherwise he wasn't great. I think he gets a little bit of a hand wave because I don't know if people know what to do in that like six to 10 range, even for like the mock drafts. Yeah. It's like, okay, he, he was projected as a top three to four. He's had flashes. He's been okay. He's still skinny. The burst is a little bit better, but still not kind of what we thought it would be. I think just keep – it is strange, though. It's like people are having a little bit more patience for him than a, a BJ Boston, but he's still scoring the ball. So there, there's something there to be a little bit excited about where it's 12.5 points per game, almost six rebounds. The free throw stuff at 84% despite being a small sample size – hopes you can bump up that 32% from three that it's kind of glaring because if you're not shooting at a higher clip from three, you don't have the burst off the dribble. You're kind of in like no man's land as a a wing prospect offensively. Yeah. And like, don't get me wrong. He's been better over the last four games. You didn't even mention the Washington game where he had the triple double, um, which was the game before these last three triple double, the 12, 12, 10. Yeah. Yeah. Where he's been like, fine. Um, It's just like a weird, it's weird to me that everyone's just like oh yeah in like nba scouts do this too like it's not just the public right like nba scouts to me are just like yeah zire's fine don't worry like he'll be good um we'll put weight on him he'll be able to absorb contact and he'll be good and i think he, i think i agree like don't get me wrong um like i i like he's shown far more flashes than what bj boston has this year he's 
been actually like an effective college basketball player for the most part. Um, he's been in double figures all but I think two games and uh, like his true shooting percentage, I would imagine is like what 15% better than BJ's right now. Like BJ's got, hey, the 30s, yeah, right? that's, pro- that's probably fair, but let me ask no, you. No, it's, it's only like 8% better, but um, are, are you, are you more than, are you more on the Zaire Williams train or like a James book night? Because they're probably around that like yeah. eight to twelve ish area now. Like that's going to be. I don't know if we'll ever do head to head workouts ever again, especially in the lottery, especially with the COVID stuff. But it's like that'll be uh, at least a discussion. I mean, I know Zaire has more size, but it's like, all right, that kind of wingy scorer. Who's your Who's your guy? I mean, we, we've bumped down BJ Boston of, of those two. Who do you kind of prefer? Booknight's interesting, man. Like, are we certain that Booknight can shoot? No, but um, again, I guess I'd say encouraged. Like he's had some some big games. I wish he didn't hurt his elbow and could could play a little bit more and put together a little bit more of a tape. And you're hoping it's only for a few weeks and not for the rest of the season. Yeah, and like the big thing with Book Knight too is I don't know how much you've like dug into his defense. He's been pretty good defensively. Like I've no, been... he he does, and he fights through screens pretty well too. I mean, they yeah. they'll put him in, in action to try to like wear him down defensively, but he, he has some fight to him for sure. Yeah, I've been like pleasantly surprised with his defense. I, I was not expecting him to fight in the way that he does. He's a pretty good defender. Um, I don't know if he guards up the lineup as well as, as Zaire Williams, which is one of your favorite things. Yeah. I mean, Zaire, I'd say, has more defensive versatility from multiple spots, but maybe Book Knight's more of a, a shutdown guy for, for his spot, more than Zaire would be for one, I guess. Yeah, like I feel better putting on putting Book Knight on guards right now than I do putting Zaire on anyone. But I feel better about putting Zaire on like threes and fours, right? With switching stuff and ones and twos than I do like Book Knight putting him on threes and fours. Um, Hmm, that's tough. That's a tough. That's a that's a tight one for me. I think it's pretty close. One one to monitor. Yeah, or would you take Scotty Barnes ahead of these guys is, like, another good question. That is a good question. I'd say probably no. I think I'd take both these guys first. The, the Scotty shot just scares me still. I, I love what he does from a offensive versatility standpoint, but the, the jumper, again, they're just going to give him a, a ton of space. Yeah, I mean, I, I would like to see Scotty Barnes um, play again, like, very soon. Uh you know, didn't play against North Carolina on the 16th. Yeah, and yeah. that would have been a really fun matchup. I know. They, we, they have the size to like load up against him in the way that NBA teams will be able to load up against him uh, driving. So I, I would have liked to have seen that matchup a lot. That was the noon game uh, for my schedule and whatever it was a couple hours before. It's like, he won't play. It's like, ah, we can't have nice things. There's some other yeah. good games after that. That's when he had Auburn, Kentucky, and he had, what was it, Michigan, Minnesota as well. But that was yeah. going to be a nice little lead-in. Yeah, the the three games, I will say that, like, the three best teams that he's played so far, um, or maybe three of the four, because they played Indiana, too. Um, three of the four best teams they've played so far are Florida, Georgia Tech, and Clemson. And he looked really good in those three games specifically. Uh like he was, he dropped seventeen on Florida in that yeah, weird, like post Keontae Johnson collapse game that probably shouldn't have continued to be played. Um, he dropped sixteen and had like six rebounds and was pretty good against Georgia Tech. And then against Clemson, he was like fourteen five and five. Um, 
definitely has an NBA frame. The shot worries the shit out of me, and I don't totally know what to do with him yet. Um, I, I would like to see him play more because we've only seen, what, like seven games of his? Yeah, and, and I will, like, he did get some crap early in the year, too, because they listed him, I think, at 6'9", but he does look bigger. I mean, we can't do the eye test because yeah. nobody can go see him physically in person. I do like the idea of playing with him at the elbows and facing up and and doing some action. Not the the point of guard as build. Obviously, we had, we had known that, but some point forwardy type stuff. And there was a couple plays in that Florida game where he turned the corner and his eyes lit up when he saw Colin Castle in rotating and and dunked on him. So like he has that pop at the rim too when he has time to load up. So the last uh, question I want to ask you is it's sort of in regard to Arkansas and Moses Moody. So we'll yep. just stay in the SEC here, uh, which we've talked about a lot today. Arkansas got the doors blown off by Alabama this weekend. Like it was, it, it, there was never a point where this game was close. Uh, Alabama went on like a 22 to four run or something to start the game. Uh, they extended it at halftime. They extended it like up through the 12 minute timeout. Like it was, there was never a point where this game was in doubt. Moses Moody dropped 28 points and nine rebounds in that game. Mm-hmm. He did it on, I want to say it was like 20 plus shots. Like he, he shot. Yeah. A shot 10 for 25. Plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do we evaluate a game like that? Because like, how, how do we go about evaluating how a prospect played in such a game? Because I don't think it was Moses Moody's fault that they played poorly. He was their best player by far, right? But, like, yes. a, lot of, a lot of his points came after the game was well over. Like, th- that game was dead by the time the under-12 came in the first half, right? Yes. So, like, how, how do we go about evaluating a prospect in a game that is already dead? And then you go back and you look at the box score and it's like, oh, yeah, he ended up with 28 points in the middle of this game that was a shit show to watch. It's good that he didn't quit and they, they're still firing away and scoring. But I, I think it's incredibly difficult to, to stamp anything on a game like that. And, and they're yeah. proving to be a, a tough scout, too, because they beat – Mississippi Valley State, 142 to 62. He had 16 points. They, I want to say they beat Georgia by 30. He had 25 on 9 for 15 shooting. And then he lose to Alabama by 31. He has 28 points. But, again, mostly after the game was over. I think you can watch and look at clips and see some of the stuff he does, but you can't take it too deeply because the game was over. And it's just like the team also – Alabama probably let up the gas a little bit. It's like, okay, we're not going to like completely close out and completely go a million miles per hour. We're up 25 and the game's been long decided. You got to look at a bigger scale of, of work and which is averaging almost 18 and six and shooting 44% from the field and 39 from three and an 82% free throw shooter. Well, it's, here, here's it's a the pe- thing with Moses Moody though. Cause I, I want to stop you there. Like on the percentages, right? So 58 true shooting percentage throughout the course of this year, right? Yep. They've played five games against what Ken Palm defines as tier A or B competition. Yeah. So that'd be Alabama, LSU, Tennessee, Missouri, Auburn. Those five games. His true shooting percentage in those five games is 47.6. Yeah. Which is like closing in on BJ Boston levels. 
in terms of efficiency. <laughs> I didn't know this was the derailed train. If this was a trap being like, hey, this is where Mo- Moses Moody's going. Are you on or off? Well, it's I better. thought this was going to be like Moses Moody. We, we missed him when talking book night and, and Zaire and Barnes, and he's going to be a top eight, top nine guy. Yeah, to me, like he's a level below those guys uh, based off of what we've seen so far. And I like what I've seen. Like, I think he's definitely a first round pick. Um, six foot oh, six, yeah, for sure. seven foot wingspan, yeah. like can shoot from three. Uh, I think he is like somewhat overextended in this Arkansas offense. Like he does have to create a lot. And I don't think that's going to be his role at the NBA level. I also think that like overextending him is going to help him develop long term because it gives him uh, some freedom to take these relocation jumpers like off of movement that will be essential for him to succeed at the NBA level. Um, he's still shooting 37% from three against those five tier A and B opponents that he's played. But. I think like I saw some like numbers saying like, oh, you look at like shot quality metrics and like Moses Moody should be a guaranteed like top 10 pick right now based off of some of these numbers. And it's just like if you look at the games that actually matter, he has not been awesome in those games yet. Like he's been okay, but he's been pretty inefficient. Right. Uh, I I know your buttons right now and I know what this answer is going to be, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Moses Moody or Corey Kispert? Oh, it's not even close to me. Like, I would rather have Kispert. Um, yeah, I know it. I know it. Yeah, and that's no no disrespect to Moses Moody, who, again, like, I think is a first-round pick and is really good. Um, like, I feel very confident that Corey Kispert is going to be an elite-level floor spacer and shooter. This guy is shooting over his last 263 point attempts. He is at 46% from three. <laughs> like... Otherworldly, yeah. That's that's driveway numbers. Yeah, it's working yeah. out by yourself. I mean, he's <laughs> he's shooting seventy percent from two point range. I mean, it's unbelievable. And part of this is so, the offense, right? Like the offense is incredible. Yes, but. of course. And, and you're probably getting cleaner looks than Moses Moody relocation jumpers when you're down twenty five and you're just chucking it early in the shot clock because the game's been decided. There, there's more that, like I think Moses Moody's shot actually looks pretty clean coming off too. Yeah, it and does. And it's not like his, it's not like his numbers are bad. He's shooting 39% from 3. I think I'm a little higher on than than you are. Uh again, need need more games to play out, but he's going to be in that top 10 conversation. I find it hard for him not to just as he he can shoot it. He does have good size at 6 foot 6 for the wing. Uh I think can eventually guard up the lineup a little bit at, at his yeah. size and strength. And that'll translate. Maybe not initially as much as Corey Kispert's jumper does, but it'll get there. Well, I I will bring this up. How convinced are we that Moses Moody can guard down the lineup? Because that's what worries me. Yeah, not very. Yeah, like I don't think he's going to switch onto ones and and be okay. Yeah. Like a switch, switch back or the the point. Like you got him. I got him. You got him. Okay. Yeah. Like the feet worry me more than the frame and the strength and like the length. Like I think he's actually going to be okay guarding up the lineup. It's more if you get him switched onto ones and he ends up on an Island, can he like force a 17 foot jumper? Right. I'm not totally convinced he can do that yet. No, I'm not there either. Hopefully be more outside defense in the NBA than he has right now at, uh, on the must bus. Okay. So let's, let's finish on the G league. 2021 bubble with the G League Ignite. Uh, this this bubble is going to be played. Uh, I don't know the. Do we have a schedule yet? Like I'm not entirely sure if we have a schedule yet. I've seen the rosters. I don't know if there's a, an actual schedule out yet. 
Like I, I, I know it's last in, week and I couldn't find it. Yeah, like I know it's in February. Like they, they've said that it's going to start in February. I think it's like a month from now, but I don't have right in front yeah. of me. Let me see if I can like pull this up while we're talking. Um, but it, it's going to start sometime in February. Um, the G League Ignite is going to play there, which is very exciting, and I think is really important to where we are, uh, where the top of this draft is going to settle. So. I wanted to talk to you about what do we expect from Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, and to an extent, Dacian Nix. Like, which one of those three guys do you want to talk about first? Let's talk we're gonna go Jalen Green first. Yes. So, you and I both talk to a lot of NBA teams. They've had tape from scrimmages for um, this G League Ignite team. And... What the impression I've gotten from them is that Kuminga looked the best in the scrimmage. Jalen Green looked like he will have zero problems athletically with the league, will be one of the best athletes in the league, and will need to like prove that he can be efficient. And that Dacian Nix just looked terrible, um, for lack of a better word. Um, does that kind of line up with what you have heard? I have actually seen the scrimmage. Okay. So there we go. So it does align. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so for Jalen Green, I, I thought that he looked taller, a little bit taller, a little bit leaner. St- everything that we thought he was, he did. Lightning quick first step, getting off the floor, beating his man, redirects his body really well based on what the defense is giving him. He's using screens and, and slowing the game down, which you can tell is a point of emphasis for Brian Shaw and that staff, which is good. He could hit movement shots. He's learning to limit his dribbles and and not just pull the ball out and and run twenty five foot isos. He closed out well to shooters defensively, but the the thing that stuck out to me right now is he does float and drift way too much. Like I didn't watch that. If you didn't know it was Jalen Green and watching it, you wouldn't necessarily say like surefire top three guy. You could see the talent, you could see the the flashes of it, but he didn't take over enough. Despite I think he had twenty points in, in one of the scrimmages. I don't know if it's a byproduct of Deja Nix and him just trying to figure out how to play this two-man game or not, but it wasn't like a it wasn't like a statement game where we saw a, a Jalen Suggs have 27 points. It's like, oh man, this kid's a top five pick, no question. So yeah, that, that's kind of always been the concern for me with Jalen Green. Like whenever I've seen him on the AAU circuit, it's been holy shit, this guy is a ridiculous, unbelievable athlete. He can get wherever he wants on the court, and he just doesn't make great decisions uh, once he decides to do that. Like, he takes a lot of contested shots at the rim that um, he just doesn't show, like, a crazy amount of craft with, right? Uh, like, it's more like jumping and then trying to figure it out as opposed to, like, having a plan before you go in the air. Like, that's what uh, Donovan Mitchell, like, really improved throughout the course of his career is uh, whenever he was in, like, his first year and a half at Louisville, he didn't really have a plan when he got in the air and then later in his Louisville career. And then um, early in his NBA career, he figured out, okay, I'm this crazy athlete, but if I stay on the ground and force guys to figure out how to maneuver around me and make them make the decision first, I can make this happen. I can have a better chance of scoring efficiently otherwise than otherwise. Um, with Jalen Green, I would just like to see him be a little bit more thoughtful 
in what he does, like before he gets to where he's trying to go. And that'll come with time, right? Like, right. Like that, that comes with experience that comes with the time that you have to take to improve your talent. Right. Um, but yeah, I just like to see him throughout the course of this G league season and through the tutelage of Brian Shaw and some of these older guys on this team, like having Jarrett Jack around, I think is going to be really helpful for him. Um, I would like to see him just kind of make smarter decisions and make really smart reads and go from there. Yeah, it'll come with time. I mean, you said it too. You have a, a lot of colleges will say we run an NBA system. This is like actually an NBA system. And right. I don't, I, I don't know who else they signed. I think they had Brandon Ashley. I think they had Amir Johnson. He's going to be around Jared Jack. <clears throat> it's veteran ish type guys. I mean, to these kids who are 19 years old, they're veterans who will show him kind of like these tricks of the trade. And Brian Shaw has really heaped the the compliments on him saying he wants to be great. He wants to work. He's figuring out he's, he's getting better with his feet. He's getting better with trying to slow the game down. It's going to be eye opening though, because I also won't sugarcoat it. Like that team got beat up by a team of like G league free agents too. Like reality's coming at him. Like, I, I don't know in the bubble what their their record's going to be you're going to see some good stretches but i don't know how many games are necessarily going to win if you're leaning on these guys oh i'm kind of assuming that they're going to go winless to be honest you need one Um, win right yeah like maybe they win a game but like it's going to be tough like they have two guys that we think are like nba level players right now yeah two two plus yeah well and the other thing is too that like they've filled out this roster with NBA guys, like they start, yeah, they they st- yeah they stacked the deck a little bit, but it, I also not to be a conspiracy theorist, but I think the NBA wants this to work though too. Yeah, it costs it costs a lot of money. The G League bubble is expensive. It's allegedly like five hundred thousand dollars per team entry fee. There's only seventeen NBA teams doing it. The rest opted out. They're the eighteenth. Uh, you mentioned it way back that the whole thing is like an estimated ten million dollars. Is this pathway worth it for the next round of guys? going pro like you the nba wants this to look like it's a successful thing right like they have amir johnson they have dante hall who was in the nba last year they have um jared jack who hopefully can provide some minutes they have brandon ashley who um you know is big and can shoot a little bit bobby brown if you've ever gone down to ucla he just absolutely destroys in the practice gyms against nba players it's awesome to watch reggie hearn is like a very real um like G League All Star kind of guy, so they have guys. You know what I mean? Like they have enough dudes to where they're gonna have a chance to be good. Um, but if they play, they're young guys because this whole plan is to be a developmental thing. I uh, I have some concerns. I will say, <laughs> I You're have up. some yeah. worries. Um, maybe Kuminga is next because. I had been told that Kuminga was the best, and since you've seen the scrimmage, I will uh, I will give you the floor on it. He was he he was very good. I, I've always been high on him. He's kind of from the he's played his high school basketball in the Northeast. He's in New Jersey. He was injured, so I'd seen him before the injury, closer to a hundred percent better than he was during his last high school season, where he had a few nagging things. He gets his, but it's not always necessarily in the flow of the offense. He's coming. He can both set screens or come off ball screens. When he's coming off, he can force a little bit. If he gets the ball after not touching it for a few possessions, he's going to go. But his feet are getting a lot better. He had a up and under step through for the mid post from a basket. He hit a couple 
running one foot jumpers on consecutive possessions. Defensively, he bit a little too often on shot fakes. Uh, I did like his versatility switching to guard multiple spots. And it was just clear that he wasn't intimidated. He didn't back down. I believe he had like 20 and 10 in each scrimmage. I thought if you ended it right there, he, he cemented himself as a top seven ish guy. But again, we have to see kind of what happens and develops the next month and a half here in, in the bubble, but a, a lot to like. And I was, um, I was pleasantly surprised that he had developed kind of the way we projected. Yeah, I was told specifically the jumper looked much, much, much better. Looked a lot more fluid getting out of it. Um, whereas, like in AAU, I can speak to this. Like it looked a little bit robotic and mm-hmm. looked a little bit. Um, it was just tough to get in and out of shots for him. Like he had like a bit of a pause at the top. It took him a while to like get into the jumper and I guess that in this scrimmage it looked okay he's a lot more comfortable with the jumper now he can actually be like kind of a wing creator definitely wing creator the jumper I don't think is ever going to kind of be his go-to or his calling card but it looked a lot more respectable than it has in the past yeah I mean to play in the NBA now like you at least need the threat of the jumper you know what exactly. I mean like yeah. you need yeah. you need to be able to go to it when you have to go to it um and guys get better as jump shooters, right? Like people said that, and I don't mean to compare him to this guy, but like people said that like Kawhi Leonard, when he came in, like the jumper is never going to be his weapon. The jumper is his weapon of choice now. Right. right. So as long as it's improving, I think that's the most important part. As long as it keeps getting better and keeps uh, taking a leap, uh, it, that shows signs uh, based off of everything I've been told. Like I feel like, Kaminga should probably be ahead of Jalen Green right now on boards. Do you feel that way? Oh, if you just watched these games and, and didn't know the rest of the story, I'd say yes. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm turning into Mr. Sample Size here for two games. I just want to see more. Okay, cool. Uh, final one is Dacian Nix. Um, I, I will let you – I'm just going to let you explain Dacian oh, Nix. Oh, you're just killing me here. Yep. Because you've seen it. Like I have. I was told that it was like very, very bad. He he's so. How do I put this right? He played on a high school and grassroots team where he had to be the guy. He had to score a million points, get a million assists, take the ball every play. He's still working his way into being more of a primary facilitator role. So in the game I saw, he was pretty ball dominant. He didn't, as I said, involve Jalen Green enough early in the offense. It kind of became like a a last resort-ish. The jumper was pretty shaky from distance. When he did get to the rim, the rotating defenders didn't really have a hard time blocking a shot. He did score on an and one quick post basket, which he liked to do. He kind of liked that UCLA cut down to the post for, for a look, but it wasn't the, uh, it wasn't the top 15 guy that I'd seen the summer before. So what I was told is, A, the burst is just not there. Um, B, he doesn't look like he's totally in shape yet. And C, that teams just like went totally under every single screen. And he didn't know how to handle that, basically, because he has no threat of the jump shot yet. Good cop, bad cop. Yeah, you're right. That is that is all true. <laughs> um, the, bur- is- the, burst, the burst has never really been there. We, we said right. he's the king of the Euro step. 
and you're playing the team they played was G League, whatever. I don't know the name folk, but like there's really good guards in the G League that are going to sit down and defend. And a lot of those guys, like their their hangups is the offense. It's not always like the defense. So when you play a really good borderline NBA type defensive point guard it, it's going to be a struggle unless you have either a a jumper or b the burst to, to get by him into lane and make plays yeah and look we're not like writing off Dacian nicks by any stretch of the imagination he's a six foot five guard who can really really pass the ball and who can kind of maneuver around guards in a real way and maneuver around guys at the rim in a real way um he's got a longer way to go maybe is the way to put it than the guys above him and let, let's see where this goes. Maybe let's see where it goes. goes right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not. I've never really been an Isaiah Todd guy. Uh, it, I understood the talent level, but didn't love the way that he utilized it on the basketball court. Takes a lot of mid range jumpers, settles a lot. Um, what did you think of Isaiah Todd in these scrimmages? Yeah, both true. He looked a little bit uncomfortable in dribble handoff stuff. He's blocked the rim a few times. He battled, but I think he had single-digit points in, in both games. You're usually the jumper had, I don't know, the jumper generally looks good, and it, it leads you to think that he can shoot a little bit, but the shots have not been falling. Basically at any level, like throughout his career, it feels like. Correct. <laughs> um, yeah, correct. Despite his... Uh, predilection for taking them maybe um yeah kind of a bummer uh when he was younger he was like a top five prospect in his class right yeah no i loved him he i, I saw him play an event in california and I, i've said it before i thought he was kind of like chris boshy the way he played and he it, it's weird it's been a weird transformation that he wanted to be a jump shooter then he got away from it and now like you can kind of be a jump shooter in the nba and and space the floor and they haven't fallen yet and hopefully he gets a few more opportunities to to show that he can can hit him and guard defend but it's like i i just don't know what just circle back to it i just don't know if like the nba really wants this those four guys to all be drafted all be first round guys in order to be deemed a success i I don't know what kind of like their measuring stick is i'd be pretty stunned if isaiah todd went in the first round i'm just saying I, i don't know like if they went into this thing a year ago saying we're gonna get four or five guys and they're all gonna be first round picks and it's kind of just like blocking them from whatever pursuing professional options elsewhere um kai sato principal singh any 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 one sentence thoughts uh kai struggled with physicality uh struggled playing drop coverage or or guarding pick and roll feet were a little bit slow does have a nice touch for mid-range runs a little bit flat-footed multi-year g league guy i didn't even like to be honest i don't even know what principal's numbers were i didn't even really like i locked in on those five guys and that was really it yeah um i think that's all i've got for you today matt penny do you have any anything you've watched on tv recently anything exciting (laughs) other than below deck no no below deck's great below deck's great no southern charm that's my other one i'm not i don't even know what that is oh man Your, your trash tv is terrible your your trash tv is too good Socialites and, and Char- and Char- Socialites and Socialites in Charleston, South Carolina, running amok. Drama ensues. That that's pretty much it. So it's like Real Housewives of Charleston. Oh, that's a dig, but kind of. But it's it's thirty five year olds acting like they're twenty five. I mean, look, like I watched Selling Sunset. Like I'm 
somewhat in. Yeah, you know what? They're in the they're in the but same like, they're in the same universe. Yeah, no, I, I don't dig deep um, in, into that world by any stretch. I, I texted you, you. I was you, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say I texted you to watch Night Stalker. Um, I know that's on again. That's on the list. My wife's not a big uh, scary guy, scary movie type person, so I, I got to wait on that one. Yeah, uh, Night Stalker is awesome. It's really good. Even like I knew the story of the guy going in, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is amazing!" Like this is terrible, like what he did to these people. But the whole story is told in a really compelling way and is done really well. But you can't look away. Is it is it a series or is it just like an hour and a half thing? It's four episode, like hour long episodes, uh, documentary thing. Okay. Um, do you know, do you know the story of the night stalker, which actual night stalker? I don't want to mix up my serial killers here. The one in the eighties in LA, not the Zodiac killer, not the Zodiac killer and not the original night stalker. (laughs) Night stalker part two. No. Yeah. Well, the original night stalker is the one, um, that Michelle McLaren, like wrote the book about and was just like an HBO series. This one is different part two of the stocking okay yes i have a good i have a good list i I still gotta chip away at it but uh yeah i guess in between your basketball nba and cricket you just have more time than i do well yeah i don't have kids happens yeah (laughs) that's the thing when you have kids you lose this ability i would rather watch movies than have kids yeah i can tell you the best blippy videos on youtube or what, what the best construction truck shows are but that's that's really the that's really as much as far as it goes for me yeah uh all right matt penny tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what's going on in your life yeah i'm at matt underscore penny on twitter i have one shameless plug is that possible please give me the shameless plug it's a it's a mutual friend mutual acquaintance mutual professional relationship the club trill scholarship mark titus friend of the program former ohio state walk-on started awarding a fifteen thousand dollars scholarship to deserving division one basketball walk-on i'm helping with the selection committee for walk-ons if you're a college coach or, or you know someone who that could really help log on to club trillionfoundation.org to learn more spread the word uh i've been there i've been down to my last twelve dollars in my bank account while i was at umass and i know how much that can uh change and impact lives so check it out please go donate over there um check it out uh i mean mark does a really good job i mean like people i think know that um we are big fans here of mark at the game theory podcast uh mark is a like good friend and mark is also a very good person that uh genuinely does just want to help someone so yeah please go to is it just club trail right club trail foundation what is it club trillion foundation.org yep and uh mostly just looking for applicants so it started last year we awarded a winner uh unfortunately we couldn't do it in person it had to be virtually but the the player was very appreciative the family is very appreciative it's just it's helping people people love those walk-on videos it was a great one this week of oklahoma state giving it to, to one of their players who was paying his way through school working at walmart so just people helping people that's all it is <laughs> people helping people by the way um yeah i'm running for congress yeah i watched uh, i went and saw a movie called the dry at uh <laughs> 
what is your life man the dry yeah. what is that so it's like a best-selling like australian novel it's not okay like a, in like eric banna is the main star of this eric movie. banna okay love it um and his sidekick cop in the movie is todd the like brother from wedding crashers <laughs> it was a gift yeah. <laughs> it was I'm gift keeping this yeah <laughs> and i couldn't stop laughing that this guy went from being todd to like actually being this very serious cop <laughs> yeah, you, so, some characters you can't unsee it and it's it's the typecast thing and i get it and it's like it's not rain wilson it's dwight schrute fighting crime or it's you know todd breaking the case it, it's hard <laughs> these iconic characters you can't you can't I, I couldn't take todd seriously after he's kind of like hunched over um fighting off <laughs> vince vaughn for what an hours. incredible movie um all right this has been the game theory podcast please remember rate review subscribe do anything you can to support the show uh we'll be back later this week i'm gonna have a couple of podcasts later this week because i only did one uh last week so until next time we'll talk soon Bye.